the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickerson. The Bickersons have retired. As usual, Mrs. Bickerson tosses restlessly while her husband, John, insomniac extraordinary, provides this audible testimony of his constant wakefulness. Let's listen. Oh, for the love of heaven, what is he doing? John! 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 What's the matter with you? Hmm? You are making the most frightful noises. What's the matter? What's the matter, Blanche? Are you in pain? I've got a terrible headache. Haven't slept a wink. You've been sleeping like a felled ox. Headaches. You wouldn't have such a headache if you didn't make so many cocktails before dinner. Why do you do that, John? Always do it. Why? No good to eat on an empty stomach. Put out the lights, Blanche. The lights are out. How would you know anyway with that sleep shade on? Well, something's flashing in my head. Ow! Take an aspirin. Okay. Hmm, feel better already. How can you chew those things like that? Wash it down with something. All right. Ah. John Bickerson, you washed it down with bourbon. You lied to me. You got the lights on. Yes, I'm going to keep them on. Sit up. I want to talk to you. Please, Blanche, I can't sit up. My head will fall off. Why do you always have to talk in the middle of the night? When else can I talk to you? You come home for dinner and bury your head in the paper. Never a word out of you. And you tell me you've got to go to bed early because you have insomnia. Well, I have. It takes me hours to fall asleep. It took you all of 30 seconds tonight. Well, this was a good night. Good night. John. John! I went over to see the Marvin's new baby this afternoon. It's a beautiful child. Do you know their first one is over a year old? I hope so. He's been walking since he was eight months. He must be awful tired. I am too. Children are such a blessing. It's wonderful to watch them grow up. You'd be surprised how many childless couples are adopting children. I'd better have another aspirin. Boy, have I got a headache. John, Mm -hmm. don't you miss the patter of tiny feet around the house? No, I don't, Blanche. Children are wonderful, all right, but you have to be able to afford them. All this talk of adopting. What the devil is that? 
What's what? That. Put the lights on. John. Blanche, don't tell me that you went out and... It's and only a dog, silly. A, a dog? What do we need dogs for? I got for? a little puppy. Where's the aspirin? What did you get a dog for? Now don't get hysterical. Where is the little beast? I can hear it, but I can't see it. He's right there, in the bureau. I've got him in your shirt drawer. You put him in there with my shirts? He won't suffocate. The drawer's open. Blanche, you know I'm allergic to dog hair. It gives me sinus trouble. Where's the aspirin? You are just a big hypochondriac. You imagine those allergies like you do your insomnia. I tell you, I'm allergic to dogs. They make me... make me... Get rid of that thing. He'll whine all night and keep me awake. The man said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills. Well, where are they? On the night table by your bed. How do you give a dog... Where? They're on the night table by your bed. There's nothing here except the aspirins. The aspirins are in the medicine cabinet. How can they be in the... Blanche, what have I been eating? No wonder my headache won't go away. Why do you do these things to me? Send for a doctor. Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My, my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs, hides the aspirin, and makes... I don't know. Get up so early, never get another wink of sleep as as long as... John? John? Hmm? die. Thanks. I can see how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. We'll have to get rid of the puppy. Now you're talking. I want you to take him down to the dog pound. Okay, I'll do it on my way to work. You go in the opposite direction. Well, I'll go out of my way. You say it, but you won't do it. You better take him now. What? Go on, get up, take the puppy to the dog pound. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's after two in the morning. They're open all night. Go on, get up and take him. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. You know I went to bed with a splitting headache and had to take a dozen worm pills to fall asleep. You'd take the dog to the pound quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked you to. How do you always manage to work the conversation around a Gloria Gooseby? Well, if you wouldn't shout so much, maybe the puppy would be able to sleep. Ah, what's the use? Good night. I thought it would be nice to have a little dog, especially when we move into our new apartment. Still have a year to go on this one. Our lease expired on Friday. I renewed it yesterday. I canceled it this morning. Amos is raffling off the apartment for me. That's a good idea. Amos is what? Amos sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece, and the winner moves into our apartment tomorrow. Oh, Blanche, no. I... I don't believe it. We'll be on the street. Amos said he'll find us a new place in a jiffy. Jiffy? Haven't you heard there's a housing shortage? Where would he find a place? Well, I bought a ticket myself. It's a wonderful chance. Lovely three-room apartment, large kitchen, big closets. It's worth $2, and we might get it. Get it? We've got it now. I know. But even if we didn't win, we get the $1,000 Amos collected for the rest of the tickets. Look, Blanche, I gave the landlord a $1,200 bonus to renew the lease. So now I'm out $200 and I've got no place to live. Sounds like pretty poor business to me. Why do you make such deals? Now look, Blanche... The trouble with you, John, is that you are too conservative. Look, Blanche... If you'd pick up some of the deals that Amos has, we might be able to live as nicely as he does. Blanche... He's been living at the Biltmore Hotel for a year. He sleeps on a billiard table. Look out. Where's my slippers? What are you going to do? Let me get to that phone. I'll show... Ow! Ooh! Ooh! Put on the lights. The lights are on. Open your eyes. Oh. Here's here's the phone. 
I know it's going to ring, and I want to be ready when it does. Hello? Excuse me. Drop dead. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't Amos. I'll get it, I'll get it. Amos. Hi, Jacko. What are you doing up this time of night? Packing, Amos. We're moving, haven't you heard? Why aren't you going to invite me in? I'd like to look the place over. You mean... Yep, I won the raffle. Darndest luck I ever saw. Who drew the ticket, Amos? Fair and square. I wouldn't take a chance having some phony draw it, so I drew it myself. What a coincidence. Get out of here. What's the matter with you, Jacko? You got a thousand dollars coming, and if you're worried about a place to live, I'll rent you the garage. You haven't got a car anymore, you know. Get out of here before I hit you with a cleaver. Okay, Jacko. You don't have to get sore. You better give the money back to people you sold tickets to, or you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Not me, brother. You'll have to do the explaining. I'll tell them you won. Good night, Jacko. That guy will wind up on a chain gang as sure as... Was it Amos who won? I did. Now at last I can go to sleep in my own bed without worrying. No, you can't, dear. The dog's in there. But, oh, nuts. I'll sleep in the garage. Good night, John. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is uh, the author of a new book called The Path 365, Daily Direction for Ladies and Mothers, Witches and Others. And uh, it's um, she has a doctorate in uh, coping mechanisms, and we're going to talk about, well, she's also worked as a nurse anesthesiologist on uh, obstetric units in the epicenter of the opioid crisis. So we're going to have a lot to talk about with my guest this hour, Susie Newell, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Susie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. This is lovely. (laughs) It's probably one of the longer introductions I think I've ever done. Um, (laughs) I'm a busy girl. (laughs) Well, and and that seems to be the case. there is something um, that I thought was um, kind of interesting about this title, um, The Path 365. Is this, and, and I don't, I, I don't want to sound facetious, and I, you know, I, I, I don't want to seem to be poking fun at it, but is this sort of a setup for daily aphorisms? No. It's very much a daily direction. Or affirmations, I guess. Would affirmations, be. yeah. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually give you affirmations. What it does, the, the coping mechanisms that I studied revolved around creating hormones that make you happier, right? So endorphins and, uh, you know, dopamine and uh, norepinephrine, things like that, that, 
get your energy up, get you happier. And so the daily direction gives you a title. It gives you a little, sometimes joke, sometimes um, it's me just talking about a little line, a tagline. And then it gives you literally direction. Uh, it, it can be anything from you're tired, get back up. You're, um, you're tired, take a day off. I mean, it can be any and everything in between. <laughs> so what it does is it gives you daily advice on how to create those hormones and get yourself back on track. I have been working with women with substance use disorder, and this work that I had done creating uh, these, these coping mechanisms and creating these meetings were good for everyone. Everyone has needs a little bit of, and we've gotten so far away from uh, uh, daily living, like a direction for daily living that I feel like this is just a very simple, here's how you can design your own path. Do you think that uh, Marie Antoinette was at all on the right track when she said, let him eat cake? <laughs> no, of course I don't. <laughs> but um, but when... When I wrote this, I had I'm in uh, Minis- or in Ohio, and there's lots of different ways to see the world. It's a very urban, rural place. We have lots of urban centers, lots of rural centers, and I work all over the place. And I work with women, and I realize that not everybody sees things the same way. And we're in a country right now where not everybody sees things the same way. And this helps bridge that. It's not, I feel like people who have one way of thinking could could actually find their path in this book. So, and then also I feel like there's, if you have a diagnosis, there's a book out there for you. It, like if you have, you know, you're an alcoholic or something like that. Or if you have, you know, if you have a religious path, if you're a Christian, there's a daily direction book. But there's nothing for everybody. And the way I wrote this was you design your path. So if, if Marie Antoinette was right in anything, she was right in saying, let people work things the way they work them. Um, but no, Marie Antoinette was not right. <laughs> I can't say that. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, but the thing is, I, you know, I wonder if, if she meant it the way it has always been heard. What do you mean by that? Do something to make them feel better. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I think, I don't know, I think she probably was ignorant. You know what I mean? She was disconnected from her people, and so probably not, but in the sense that that people can, some days you need, you need to be told to get up, and some days you need to be allowed to stay down. I think that is something that is very true. More with author Susie Newell, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi. .gov/agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Susie Newell, straight ahead. Well, it seems that we, in in the last, I'm going to say, couple decades, could be, could be more, could be less, but it it seems like people are taking things so seriously. You talked about the divide. Um, you sort of hinted at at the political divide that we have going on, where we have a lot of people on one side of the aisle and the rest of the people on the other side of the aisle. And the prevailing conversation seems to be, if you don't agree with me, you're a moron. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and I, I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is how do we how do we make people um, unclench their fist to so, take advantage of the kind of information that you're sharing, for example? That is exactly why I wrote this. I mean, I even have entries in my book. I have, like, number 110 is Accept Others' Beliefs. And my tagline is, the Middle Ages called, they want their hatred back. Um, and I say, like, the, the, the bulk of it is it's really hard to navigate faith. It's really hard. Like, everybody struggles with it. So don't complicate it by demanding that everyone sees things the same way as you. Are you religious? Awesome. It's so great to have structure to hang on to, and that helps guide your faith and sense of mystery. If you're not, no big deal. You could be, or if you are Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, pagan, you could be atheist, Hindu, Sikh. It doesn't really matter as long as it doesn't drop into your amygdala and force you to get on this kind of primitive defend my people sort of place. As long as you keep that stuff in your frontal brain, you can utilize the very important dopamine that comes from having a prayerful practice. So if you're a religious person, your prayer helps you develop dopamine. That's awesome. Why would I not want that for everybody? If you're a non-religious person, you can use meditation. If we all let everybody do what they need to do, we could all be a little bit more dopamine happy and less in our amygdala, less in our defensive place. Susie, can you explain to me how, um, and, and I suppose we could use meditation as an example, I understand how meditation can put somebody in, a, in, in that mindset or, or that zone where they can let go of tension. But how do you take that a step further that lets in the good feelings? So that is a really good question because one of the things that we want all the time with this stuff is immediacy. And that's why it's the path 365. It's not the path you'll be good in a day. (laughs) And the end of it is rinse, repeat. You have to keep doing it. You can't get any. what, What a meditation or a prayer or a quieting of the mind does is it lights up your receptors. Your receptors have a chance to say, hey, I'm going to drop some of this dopamine your way. 
And maybe it's only two the first time you do it, but those are lit up now. And the next time you do it, you might have four, but you want to light them up regularly so that your body has the habit of creating its own coping mechanisms, its own hormones, its own feel-good hormones. And so just like everybody kind of understands this with exercise, we get that. But what we don't get is that you have to do all the other things. You have to clear your mind. In other words, you know, you have to unload yourself, right? So that's counseling or getting something off your chest with a friend or a partner. All of those things help um, light up those receptors. And then you have the exercise, which creates the endorphins, and we know that. And then you have this kind of vague spiritual stuff, which incidentally, there is a lot of research to back it up. It's simply called meditation or something like that, you know, something more like that. The difference is in order to access it more regularly or more readily, you have to do it regularly. Just like a stroke victim doesn't become better overnight. It takes months and months to retrain the brain to learn how to move that arm. You also need to retrain the brain to create those hormones for yourself. I really think we've gotten away from the ability or, or even the messaging that you must create this for yourself as well. Otherwise, you're just going to depend on a pill or a screen or something to give you those things and, or, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. Um, and, and that's never going to be life-sustaining. That's never going to be healthy. What is a brain reboot? That is exactly what I'm talking about. The, um, so what I talk about um, when I talk about the mind, body, soul is, is basically de- demystifying that. I think our, we have really not done a very good job as a healthcare system as it, um, in incorporating the need to include these practices to create health. So, because it doesn't make any money, and it doesn't, you know, you, it, it, it's, it's not immediate. Um, so, the brain reboot, you know, if you turn off a, a computer, you just turn it on, turn, you know, turn it off and turn it back on, and it fixes it, right? Well, we are a computer in a lot of ways, but we're much more complicated than that. And so, we need much more time and much more practice to reboot that brain and create those healthy um mechanisms and um, and to enforce those healthy mechanisms. And some of us need more than others. But I think we, as a society, we're so dependent on screens and, and drugs to fix the way we feel that we've gotten so far away from, hey, you actually need to practice this stuff or you lose it. So if you're not using the things that draw, that light up your dopamine receptors, if you're not using the things that light up your norepinephrine, they go dormant. They don't work. And so you're not able to access them when you need them. So you have to just consistently do some of this stuff. Maybe it's a walk. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a meditation. Maybe it's eating a little better. All of those things contribute to the brain reboot. And over time, maybe not today, but maybe in five years, maybe you've lost some weight or maybe you've become happier, but those aren't the goals. 
the goals are to be on the path and create the hormones so that you can have a good life. It's not really about any of the one goals. The goal is to just consistently do these things, and you don't have to do them well. That's the great news. <laughs> you can suck at them every day. <laughs> Susie, do we have built-in coping mechanisms, or do we have to learn those from scratch? I think... I think we have to learn them. I think we all learn how to cope. The problem is is that we learn frequently how to cope poorly. So my family loved to drink. We drank for everything. Good, you know, traditional Irish family. And <laughs> we, we loved to drink. We drank when it was bad. We drank when it was good. We drank at funerals. We drank at... We still do. It's a, it's a thing. Um, but I learned to, to cope through drinking, and it was considered uh, a great honor when I had a crisis in my childhood, and at 16, my mother said, you can have a drink now, and I remember thinking back on that moment and thinking, that was it. That was how I learned to cope, a, and so instead of... It was like of, a rite of passage. Right, exactly, exactly. And it wasn't, I mean, she wasn't a bad mother. I mean, my mother was a good person, but she didn't know either. And so no one um, taught her. There was either, you could either be really religious or you could be, you know, somewhat religious and drink or just drink. So you didn't really have a, hey, you can be all of the things and you don't have to claim any one of them. And I'm never anti, people can have a drink I and mean, I don't have any problem with that. People can do those things. The problem is when you don't have other ways, you haven't learned other ways to cope. So simple breathing exercises when you're stressed out. We focus in on the breathing. It's a form of a very simple form of meditation that again, lights up those dopamine receptors, allows you to not need something else to comfort you. Uh, even, uh, um, you know, we, we have these examples in history throughout, I mean, for thousands of years, a very simple example of a mantra or a, a meditation is a rosary. I mean, it is, it is 10 Hail Marys, and our Father and a glory be 50 times, you know, five times in a row, 50 times of, you know, you say the Hail Mary 50 times. I don't think, I mean, that is, that is a meditation. That is a mantra. That is a way of creating dopamine. And that's awesome. That's a great way to get there. That was created before they had any idea that's what they were doing for people. So it's amazing to me. I think religion is an awesome vehicle for mental health. I think it always has been. And I think we have gotten away from understanding that none of this is bad. And that's what, like, if you disagree with someone's practices, that doesn't mean they are bad or doing bad things for themselves. They, they have access. All people have access to these practices. You can do whatever you want. Do simple meditation. It doesn't matter. Whatever works for you. um, This idea of of good coping, bad coping um, is is 
interesting to me. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of the whole good cholesterol, bad cholesterol thing. Um, <laughs> yes, that's a is, great analogy. Is <laughs> there, um, could you give two or three examples each of good coping, bad coping? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have a great saying of uh, bad coping. Um, we all have those days where we bury ourselves in Netflix, yoga pants, ice cream, and a bottle of wine. And there's your three. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much where I've been parked since March of 2020. <laughs> right. So, And that's when I wrote the book. So I did see a lot of that, like people just buried themselves. <laughs> and uh, and so, so I feel like those are the, the three big ones that I always throw out is, you know, and, and nothing, you can do that. No one's judging you for that. I'm never going to judge people for having those days. The problem is when you stay there, right? It, it, it really makes you depressed over time because you're not learning how to create those coping mechanisms. So better things to do, you take a walk. I always say, I, I've done every exercise poorly because I'm not good at exercise. I've never been good, but I, I do them all and I do them all poorly. And, and guess what? I get to have the benefits of that through running poorly. I got to run a marathon and go, Oh my gosh, you must be such a good, I'm like, no, I'm really not. I hate going up hills. I walk up every hill. I'm like, just not good at running. And so, so walking, running, Yoga is my favorite because I feel like it combines to everything. And I'm terrible at yoga, but I can touch my toes now, so that's great. You know, <laughs> I do it in a little, you know, a little um, uh, online in my room with nobody else around looking at me, and that's fine. They tell me how to do it, and they are always like so encouraging. Oh, you did such a good job! And then another uh, another thing that you can do is is choose. Uh, choose food that is maybe a little healthier. Not every day, maybe just not that bag of candy today. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I mean, that's a simple one. The food and exercise are the really simple, like everybody knows that, and they get kind of bogged down with it. But the other things that you can do are a quiet, a quiet bath with candles or uh, breathe for 10 minutes in a, a conscious way where you visualize something and you say three words over and over. So you focus on your breathing, the words, and the visualization, and then you can kind of clear your mind that way because it helps you not have other thoughts come in. They'll come in, but you just kind of chase them away and go back to focusing on the breathing, the thoughts, and the, um, I mean, the breathing, the, the visualization, and the three words. And then... Um, let me think of another one. I guess that's three. We did a few there. Um, there's so many. But what are prayer, the things that we? Prayer. But what are the things that we do wrong? We think we're coping, but we're not. <sighs> I, I mean, you mentioned alcohol. The, the drink, yeah, the drinking. The I mean, the eating. We overeat in a way that is so pathological. We we use food consistently as a comfort. We grab the bag of candy. We grab the, uh, you know, ice cream. We do all of those things. Um, you know, binge watching 
although occasionally a sign can be an addiction. It can be something that 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 numbs your mind and and puts you in a um, you know a, um, kind of an addictive state rather than than lighting up those dopamine receptors. I think there's a fine line there that sometimes an occasional quieting of the mind through a movie can be a good thing, but I think you can also become dependent on those things. Um, so screens are very, very addictive. Anything that puts you in an addictive place requires the, the body all of a sudden says, oh, I don't need to light up my dopamine receptors. You're going to do that for me with this screen, or you're going to do that for me with this drink, or you're going to do that for me with this alcohol or this ice cream, or you're going to do that for me with anything, you know, gambling or anything that that becomes disruptive. Um, so so anything did, like that. How did you get on the path to um, consciously making yourself feel better? Uh, well, so I, I, a hundred years ago, I got sober the first time and then I did it again in my thirties when I had a very interesting relapse. So that was a, um, you so got, that was the you first got part, what for the first time? Sober. Like I quit drinking. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but that wasn't really what brought me down this path. What brought me down this path is, like I said, my family's very, has a lot of, alcoholism in it. We, we are just really into it and <laughs> just very much into it. <laughs> and uh, my, my sister, Kathy, had been exposed to, I mean, when she was in the, like 1981, had a car accident and had been exposed to narcotics and she had been in a hospital bed for about a year. Mm. And she came out of that and, and led a fairly normal life. I mean, she got her undergrad degree and then got her master's and went on to have three kids and but um never ever lost that addiction to narcotics and she struggled with it her whole life and she finally overdosed at the age of 53 and that was the stepping off point for me i had gone home for the funeral and i came back from the funeral and walked into the unit that I work on where in, you know, central Ohio, where these women have I mean, the narcotic, the opioid crisis had hit this area so hard. And I had three women in active opioid addiction to and heroin addiction that I had put epidurals in that day. And I went back to my call room and I thought, okay, I got to do something. This is crazy. And so I started with that group and I started a group on that unit for people with whose mothers who struggled with that shame and the inability to figure out any other choices in their life. Like, why did I get it? And my sister didn't. And I started comparing, you know, how she coped and what she did. And then I went back to school and of course all the neuroscience came with that. And I realized, her shame about being a mother was about the hardest thing she dealt with and she couldn't admit those things. And if you can't, you have to start by clearing off your table. You have to get rid of all the things that you feel guilty about and the things that you're not confronting in your life in order to be open enough to move forward. And so I always say that like first you have to clean off the table and she just couldn't, 
ever really admit that she did this because that would mean she would be a mother who used narcotics. And in her world, that was unacceptable. And so um, I think it killed her. So that's how I got involved in trying to reach people in other ways. Because, you know, we have lots of ways that we reach people. And then during COVID, I realized this stuff's good for everybody. (laughs) It doesn't have to just be people with addiction, right? Like everybody struggles every once in a while. They can use these coping mechanisms, whether you have issues with, just being tired and and beat down and not knowing what to do that particular day, or you happen to be someone who has serious addiction issues, they're really the same coping mechanisms. Yeah, I think a lot of people are suffering from lethargy. Yes. And I mean just recently, because of the quarantines and the lockdowns and, you know, just, just settling into a very sedimentary lifestyle. And, um, you know, try, trying to rebound from that is, uh, is very tricky. And it's great that you have this, uh, this new book, The Path 365, that talks practical science about the way one copes and how it affects the brain's ability to be happy. Oh, and wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, <laughs> it's written by uh, Susie Newell, who uh, is my guest today. And Susie, we're almost out of time, but I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do. Thepath365.com. Well, that's easy. Yes, thepath365.com. Well, Susie, thank you so much for uh, sharing your experience, your expertise, and your thoughts with me and the listeners this morning, as well as in your book, The Path 365. And um, keep up the good work. Thanks, Tim. I'm so grateful for you having me. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Once again, Susie Newell author of The Path 365, uh, Daily Direction for Ladies and Mothers, Witches and Others. We'll have a uh, short break, and we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after this.
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital... Go to a local symphony concert. Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. 
Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov slash AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I would like to take you to the opera where you are going to hear a Mozart opera, which is nothing but an opera written by Mozart. <laughs> this is an opera in one act, and it begins when the curtain rises. Otherwise, you couldn't see a thing. <laughs> the stage setting is a kind of a forest. There are two large trees which, of course, indicates the forest. It's a kind of a small forest, but it's a forest. <laughs> First, the tenor comes in. He is supposed to meet his soprano, as they usually call those ladies. <laughs> but she's a little late this particular season, so he hides himself behind one of the trees in order to surprise her when she comes in a little later, which she does. So when she arrives, she can't find him because he is occupied behind one of the trees. <laughs> with a knife carving her name into the <laughs> scenery. Now, she doesn't know that he is there, but, uh, well, as a matter of fact, she must know it because she saw it during rehearsals. <laughs> Either she pretends that she doesn't know it or she's just plain stupid. <laughs> now, whatever it is, she gets across the stage somehow and takes place behind the other tree, which, for the occasion, hides her. <laughs> to a certain extent. Now, the chorus comes in, but nobody knows why, except Mozart, and he is dead. <laughs> and that's just too bad. Next, your father comes in, and he is a very old man, Primarily because she's a very old soprano. <laughs> and he is very angry because apparently she is not his daughter. Now, this has nothing to do with the opera. I found that out myself. <laughs> and that's what we call research. <laughs> anyway, he decides that he has had enough of her, so he tells her to die, and that's exactly what she's going to do. <laughs> and with that, the opera ends, and people can go home. Now I take you to the opera house, where you hear the conductor's footsteps when he enters the orchestra pit. Here he comes. Here he comes. 
He walks sideways. <laughs> and this is the overture. This, ladies and gentlemen, was the first part of the overture. Now you hear the second part, and that's exactly the same. This little bloop is an extra bloop. We have in case we shoot one shot of bloops. But that has never happened, so we have a lot of bloops left over. Now the curtain rises and the tenor arrives. He's a little tall fellow. He comes in. He comes in from the left in a single file. He goes behind the tree right away. <laughs> now the leading lady arrives. She is supposed to fill the part of the soprano. Now she not only fills it, she overflows it a little bit. <laughs> He's a big husk, a big, uh, uh, he's a big soprano, that's what she is. She's what we call a messy soprano. She comes in in a single pile. She also arrives backwards, but nobody notices the difference. She goes behind the other tree. She can hardly wait because... Uh, see, she is... She supposedly hasn't... She hasn't met him for a long time, so she is just... She's anxious. Now is the time for the chorus. The light is dimmed, so you can hardly see these people when they arrive, and that's why they're dressed in a kind of cheap underwear. Because there is no reason to spend a lot of money for costumes when you can't see them. Right? And that's the way the management of this theater feels about it, and that's the way it's gonna be. Here they come. Bread and butter. Now they're all in and they fool around in the dark for a little while. This is a mixed chorus. Bread and butter. Now they're out, they get the money and go home. Next, a baritone comes in and sings, Torre ador, Torre ador. But he finds out that he's in the wrong opera. Now, the father comes in, the old man, and he is the basso. 
He has almost now told her what he had to say. And she understands him quite well. So now she prepares herself to die. But before she dies, she sings an aria. The so-called die aria. Almost <laughs> She seems very happy about it. She dies by stabbing herself between the two big trees. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Those smoking George winners tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But not before saying thank you to our guests. Author of The Path uh, 365, Susie Newell. Before that, uh, <clears throat> author of From a Taller Tower, The Rise of the American Mass Shooter, Shamus McGraw. And uh, we started out uh, talking about the book Sister Resisters by Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy Robinson Wood. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.